Hey, good morning. It's your girl with another episode of Diamonds Blaze. So I will be talking briefly. When I mean briefly, I mean as briefly as possible. Um, I'm going to share my experience the first time I became a mother. Um, My oldest daughter, I had her when I was 20 years old. Um, It was several months after my annulment from, uh, from her father. And little did I know, my experience as a mother, first time around, was set the blueprint on what I needed to do further on as I had other children. Now, when I had her, I had no plans on having any more kids. I really hadn't planned on having kids at all. But um, I think if I didn't have her, actually, it's not even a thought. I know for certain, if I did not have this baby, I would have probably been extremely reckless in my life. So needless to say, that was a way of God telling me to pump the brakes before I made a major mistake. Why I say that is because the short period of time I wilded out of college, I had all these thoughts in my head of, you know, what I was going to do and where I was going to go and, you know, who I was going to do. And I think that a lot of it was because I was still resentful for the fact that my um, high school relationship failed. Right after I had my daughter, and I remember I went into a hospital that day. Um, it was a Wednesday. I do believe it was a Wednesday. November 18, 1998. Went in for regular checkup. Doctor said I was having contractions and was going to keep me just to monitor me. Well, I ended up getting admitted. I called my grandmother. She was always the first person I called with anything. And I called my grandmother and I told her that they were gonna keep me because I was having a baby. And I kid you not, I think it only took her maybe 10 or 15 minutes to get to the hospital. (laughs) And my grandmother was front and center with me the whole time. I love her. Y'all y'all have no idea. When I say I love my grandmother, I have two. Well, nothing against my uh, my dad's mom. I loved her. You know, may she rest in peace. I do. But my mom's mom, who everybody in the family called Peaches, one of the most sweetest, sincere people you would ever get to know. And when my mother couldn't be stable or when things were going awry in my life, I lived with my grandmother multiple times. Everybody saw my grandmother knew I was not far behind. Long story short, let me catch up. So I um, had my baby girl and it was like, wow, she was actually here. She was a tiny little thing, five pounds, four ounces. And what I didn't know until she was maybe about 10 months old is that she was deaf so you're wondering how did I figure it out well I just knew something wasn't right Um, she was about six months old and I noticed that she was not responding to sounds or music or you know my voice or anything and I noticed that and I picked up on it took her to the doctors Um, her pediatrician waved it off disregarded just said oh she's going to be fine you know a lot of babies do that blah, 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 etc. But my gut was telling me something different. So I found another doctor, went to a specialist, and this doctor listened to my concern. 
And I think that I was being disregarded because not only was I 20 years old, well, at that time I turned 21, but it was because I was a young black girl from the hood. And as we all know, the black demographic is the most ignored when it comes down to health care. Sorry to say, but it's true. And I didn't even look 21. Um, I still had a baby face, <laughs> so to say. I was very skinny still. And, you know, a lot of people always questioned my age for the longest time. So when I went to the specialist and found out what I already knew, it was like a wow experience, a wow factor. And I did everything I needed to do. Found out about all, you know, the resources I could get. And then I was turned to Western Pennsylvania School for the Deaf. And I was introduced to two women that were teachers there, um, Joanne and Gloria. And they were part of the parent infant program there. And uh, what they did was they helped new parents um, that found out that they had small children with hearing loss. And they came to my home uh, three times a week. They taught me ASL. They taught me about deaf culture, you know. And these were the two nicest women on the planet. And they helped me, um, you know, with how to potty trainer, you know, um, how to teach her certain things as far as not just the sign communication, but also physical gestures. And I learned a lot from those two, especially being that Joanne was a deaf woman married with three kids. Her husband was deaf but all three of their their um jeez <laughs> all three of their children were hearing and if you're wondering what this background noise is I'm I'm in my car but I felt I felt the need to do this podcast while driving anyway um and so for me to hear her story and how she was always side-eyed and looked at like how can deaf people have kids and she told me to be prepared because the world was going to be cruel to my daughter in some way, shape, or form, and they would have this false sense of um, uh, characterizing my daughter as far as her being deaf and dumb. And when she told me that then, and I recognized this 10, 15, 20 years later, that a lot of people had no idea deaf people dance, deaf people go out and party, deaf people have sex, Deaf people have feelings. A lot of them are smart as hell. A lot of them, uh, you know, I mean, it's just the amount of ignorance that people have towards deaf people. It's it's crazy. But anywho, my experience with having a child with hearing loss, at first I was very, very upset because I'm like, wow, she's never going to, my thing was I knew she would be able to do anything she wanted to do. But I was just like, wow, she's not going to hear my voice. She's not going to hear music. You know, um, she's not going to be able to, you know, have dialogue with me verbally. But it never stopped me from loving her. And it never stopped me from getting what I know she needed to get. Which was love, support, education, and making sure that she was cared for. 
I did not treat her any differently than I would anybody else. And I remember a couple of people in my family, um, you know, explaining that to them. You know, my father blamed me at first, and um, my mother even had questions on it. Well, I found out that it was a recessive gene on my father's side of the family. And I had a few cousins who had hearing loss on that side as well. So as years went on, while I was having, um, you know, my priority with go to work, take care of her, come home. And what my Monday through Friday was, get up 5 o'clock in the morning or 4.30 in some, some days, start my day, get myself ready, get her ready get on the bus from Arlington Heights Projects where I lived at with her and caught a, a bus from there to downtown Pittsburgh, from downtown Pittsburgh to Northeast Heights Projects where my grandmother still lived. Dropped her off, got right back on the bus downtown Pittsburgh, hit the incline to go to Mount Washington to go to work for Parkville Bank. After I got off, did the same thing, got off work, go get her, go home. Monday through Friday, I didn't have a social life. Monday through Friday, I took care of my, I took care of business. Saturdays, I rarely did anything, but when I did, I went out and I had fun. The only thing about those Saturdays that I would go out, I would go out. Sometimes I would go out with a, with a dude that I, you know, that I've dated for a while. Sometimes I wouldn't. But there was this one guy in particular that I dated while um, while my baby girl was a baby. And I think I've mentioned this in, a, in another podcast, but in case I didn't, um, during the time that I dated him, found out that he cheated on me. Yeah, I did mention that earlier. Well, anyway, from that experience I had it messed up my mind and I said you know I'll be damned if I let another dude do this to me I refused so I started getting what I wanted you know um, I would date guys keep it moving and I want and I and I wonder if my detachment from my own reality and not really having a positive male figure in my life to help guide me and direct me into what I needed. I wonder if my mishaps, and I wouldn't do this stuff in front of my daughter, but I wonder if my mishaps caused some type of breakdown between she and I. Yes, sometimes, you know, they, you know, a date would come over um, either by them dropping me off or, you know, they coming in for a few hours before we left out or, or whatever. But sometimes I just wonder when I was trying to fill a void in my life and I'm saying a void of not really a void now that I think of it, but it was just. I didn't know what I was looking for. I didn't know what I was getting into. I had no clue. But all I know is my daughter was my top priority. And I had to do what I had to do. Trying to have fun for me. For myself and I. It came at a price. 
but as years went on and um, another child came along um, which is my second daughter um, trying to get my second daughter and my first daughter as they got older to, to have a sisterly bond that was never a problem but I did notice how my oldest daughter was resentful that her little sister could hear and how a lot of the attention was getting off of her because she was the only child for four years. So all the attention that she was accustomed to having went to her baby sister. And I'm not saying for me, but from me. But, um, you know, babies need a lot of care and attention. Nobody put my oldest daughter on the back burner. Let me get that straight. Because I still made sure she went to her school functions. I still made sure I supported her in every way, shape, or form. Actually, my whole family did. We were there for her no matter what. But, you know, when it comes down to tending to a baby, you know, baby has to have the diaper changed. Baby has to get fed. Baby cries, you know, the whole nine. She didn't understand it, but she recognized it was a baby. Oh, my little sister. So... She used to treat her little sister like a baby doll for the longest time. And there were a couple of times when I found my my second daughter at the time not fully understanding that her sister couldn't hear, but she knew that was her sister and she loved her. Something she would try to do like her big sister, you know. And yes, I did teach her how to sign. But as my children gotten older, my um, oldest daughter, you know, she started venturing out and having her own little friends and everything. One thing I can say is my oldest daughter was easily influenced to drama. Oh, yes. Don't get it twisted. Drama kings or queens come in every spectrum of humanity. And for some reason, my oldest daughter... And I asked her why, but she said she loved drama. She loved being in the middle of chaos. She loved causing chaos. Isn't that crazy? But when she was so far in her head, I didn't recognize she was, I was losing her. And I would talk to um, counselors and therapists and everything like that, you know. And my daughter admitted to me that she blamed me for her being deaf. A lot of the stuff she did is because she was resentful of the fact that out of all of my kids that I gave birth to, she was the only one that couldn't hear. And because she was the only one that couldn't hear, she felt like she was less than, like I didn't care about her, that I gave more love to her siblings than I did her. That was the furthest thing from the truth. The older she got, the more responsibility I gave her, and she didn't like it. And when I mean more responsibility, yes, that means she's helping me out with watching her sisters and brother. Yes, she's going to be responsible for making sure the house is kept. And when I say make sure she helps, I'm not saying I dumped everything off on her. I did not do that. And I'm going to set that record straight. I did not put her in a closed-off room by herself. I wanted her to be included in everything that was family oriented but because of her insecurities and, and her being in her own head she excluded herself out of a lot 
And sometimes I, you know, would tell her, like, you know, there's nothing wrong with teaching people how to talk to you. Then that whole thing flipped. Well, she didn't want to teach people ASL. She wanted to talk. Eventually, she had gotten a cochlear implant, and um, that's different than the hearing aids that she had. And she was doing speech therapy. She was doing everything she asked. But she said she was more inept to wanting to talk to people so she could feel like everybody else. And that's what she did with the family. But what she did differently was if it was somebody on the outside of family that was really interested in speaking to her in sign, she was gung-ho to teach them sign. But she wouldn't teach her family sign. And left all of that up to me. And this is as she got older. And I'm like, wait a minute. I did my part. I've asked my family to learn how to sign. I've given some of them books. I've given some of them uh, resources where to go find how to learn sign. Certain classes, certain websites. Whether they did it or not, that was up to them. My goal was to make sure that I was able to communicate with her. And I don't know if she was upset with me because I didn't force the hand to the extended family. But as long as everybody in the household knew how to sign, that's all that mattered. And I remember when the youngest two, my my youngest daughter and my son, they didn't understand what it was to be deaf. They just knew that their sister when she talked she talked differently than the rest of us and when I had to explain that to him it took him a while so I was teaching them of course how to talk to their sister but their sister was finding fault in that too and just said no no we talk we will talk you and I we're not going to sign we going to talk I didn't understand why she did that I had no idea that she was that insecure and felt that out of place within our family. But it wasn't until my daughter was around 16 years old when shit hit the fan. And she caused my family the biggest breakup ever. And that was hurtful. Because she put it out there that, you know, oh, my mom is abusive and my stepdad is abusive. And everybody knows anytime some child say that their parents are abusive, and especially if a, if a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a step-parent is there, they're automatically, automatically going to believe the child was being abused by the mama's or the mama's other half or the daddy's other half. You know, granted, there have been a lot of cases like that, but in a lot of cases, there haven't been. A lot of cases, it's the child acting out because the parents aren't together or because the child cannot have their way. And that's what happened in my case. Crazy part was I had an absentee father and an abusive mother. And a lot of people knew that, but they never said anything and acted on it. I have vowed to do something different. I vowed not to do that to any of my children because I didn't like the way it made me feel. 
But to turn around and have my child say what she said, that was hurtful. Because anybody that knows my family knows I'm one of the least confrontational people. And I do not believe in violence when it comes down to any aspect of life. And as far as abuse go, like I said, I was not abusive, abusive at all. Neither was my husband to any of our children, not even in a littlest form. Yes, we were hard, yeah. But, you know, making you be responsible and making you clean up and making you, you know, be a leader as far as, you know, doing stuff like this with your with your siblings and just being there and then correcting you and disciplining you when you're wrong, that's not being abusive. Nobody put a iron a hot iron curtain on there on anybody, you know. Nobody was punching these kids. Nobody was neglecting these kids. We didn't do none of that with these kids. And nobody sexually abused any of our kids either. But what I found out was my daughter suffered from narcissistic personality. That was given to me from a professional, a licensed and professional counselor slash therapist. The whole time I'm raising my daughter with, you know, making sure her hair was beautiful and um, making sure that she had the right clothes, making sure that her hearing aids and her cochlear implants and everything was all, you would have never guessed that that girl thought the way that she did or felt the way that she felt because she had everything she wanted. She had a bunch of toys. She had her own rooms. I mean, anything you could think of, she had it. But once the attention went off of her at any point in time or somebody did something to her that she hated, that person became public enemy number one and she did whatever she wanted to do to take them down. She had placed so many false accusations on kids in her schools that me and my husband were constantly going there to, you know, we we took up for her 100%. We didn't care about what the other person said. We didn't care about the other kid. All we knew was the other kid needed to be punished. And then one particular episode of her blaming a boy for molesting her on the school bus, of course, we, we went all the way off. But um, the school bus has cameras. The school bus driver also had a school bus monitor on the bus, and this was in when we lived in Georgia. They played the tape, well, tapes of the recordings of the school bus. That boy did not do anything to my daughter, the one that she accused. My daughter was throwing herself at this boy that she blamed. The bus aide was correcting her. And for me to sit there and watch this and, and hear the dialogue and hear the, the bus driver talk to talk to all of us on a conference, you have any idea? I sat there and I felt so stupid because that showed me a side of my daughter that I was not familiar with. 
but then again, it reminded me so much of the seed that was planted when I was a kid. Now, I didn't go off and, and, and do what she was doing to boys. I didn't do that. Not at that age that she was at. But it reminded me of the sexual, the sexual exploitation that I faced at a, at a young age that was put on me and then I tried to put on someone else until I was corrected as a child. But the thing with my daughter is she she kept going and she kept going. Well, her quote-unquote drama that she loved and her dysfunction, it caused my family to hit the, the worst part of our lives. Not saying that throughout all of that, I love her any less because that's the further seeing truth. But the thing about my daughter and the thing about me becoming a mother was I had to learn that no matter what I had to do, no matter how I raised my kids, you just never know. You just never honestly and truly know how they're going to turn out. You do all you can to raise your children to the best of your ability, and you still don't even know how your children are going to turn out. My daughter, who had every ounce of support and love for me, from my husband, from, um, you know, from my brothers, um, from my grandmother, and even from my mother, you know, along with her siblings, no matter what we did for her, if it wasn't something that she wanted or something that she loved, if it wasn't what she felt was important to her, she did not care. (laughs) And I think about myself, was I ever that selfish and self-centered? And I look back at my life, nah, I wasn't like that at all. And I look at my other three children. And granted, my second daughter, um, let me put that out there, yes, I have three baby daddies. (laughs) But even though my youngest two um, and, and my second, my third, and my fourth child, they all come from me. My second child, different father than my oldest, but um, my, my third and my fourth child, they're with my husband. And I wonder if my fun- my dysfunction, trying to find my way and getting in situations with certain guys, I wonder if that also set my daughter off too. Because as a child, you do sit back and you watch your parents. You really do. And I wonder a lot of times if my own dysfunction caused her to be the way she is. But trying to correct something in my life was not an easy thing for me to do at all. I struggled. A lot of times I struggled alone. But I still sit back and wonder, where did I go wrong? with her she and I don't have a relationship right now she's doing her own thing the only thing I pray for is that she you know continues to be safe and whatever I was able to instill in her I hope that she uses it and not be stupid now I have another child getting ready to go off to college next spring or next fall and then I still have two tweens at home And I just hope and pray that 
how I was able to learn from the errors, if I made any, with my oldest to make sure I didn't do that with these last three. So anyway, being a mother, not the easiest thing in the world. It can be rewarding and scary all at the same time. keep feeling like I'm about to sneeze, but I'm not. <laughs> Excuse me. But um, I only hope and pray that I could be a better individual. And by the time that my children have their own children, I hope and pray that I'm a very good grandmother whenever that day comes. Now my, um, my 17-year-old had asked me, what kind of relationship do we have? Are we friends or are we not? I told her to think about it and to let me know. And before I close, I'll say this. My 17-year-old, very smart, about to do some things with her life. She's very, very old nature, old soul. She lights up any room that she walks into. She's gone through her own way of of getting um, some life lessons from me. And I can honestly say that I'm very grateful I have her, even though she, if you're wondering about her father, she met her father. She doesn't like her father. She met him one time and told me she don't care if she ever meet him again because the man who had raised her, my husband, who's been in her life since she was about uh, two or three years old, that's the only man that she she calls dad and that's the only man that she acknowledges. And that's fine. I have not ever closed the door on her being able to reach out to him if she wanted to. But, um... The thing about my 17-year-old is she keeps me humble. And when she asked me that question of what's the label of our relationship, and I told her to think about it, when she told me, she said, well, Mom, I know you're not my friend, but you and I have a respect for each other and a love for each other, and I understand the boundaries that that I'm supposed to have with you because I'm still your daughter. She said, but because we can openly communicate and you, you know, listen to me and you make me feel loved and appreciated. She said, Mom, I think we have a very good mother-daughter relationship and I always want to keep it. That made me feel good. That made me feel like invalidate that I knew I was doing something right. She don't understand why her sister, her older sister, you know, is uh, is doing what she's doing or have done what she's done. And when I found out my oldest daughter did a lot of dirt to her and my younger two children, I was very upset. I can't really get into what she did, but all I'll say is I'm glad that my children finally told me some things it was hurting it was it was hurtful to hear and it hurt me a lot and it disappointed me which is why I made that comment you can have 
kids that can all come from the same mother, but you just never know who they will actually be the older that they get. You would think that there would be some similarity, but the only thing that they have in common is the mother that gave birth to them. So anyway, I don't know if this particular segment was something that, you know, was of interest or whatever, but this was just another thing for me to share. And on the next segment, it's actually going to be me and the mister. So that segment may, it may be very long, but either way it goes, just buckle up and be prepared because when talking to the mister, you got to have tough skin and you have to be ready for everything and anything because he has absolutely no filter. So until next time, stay blessed and breezy and have a wonderful day. Thank you.